Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Tech Central. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio in association with Fidelity Investments. We are the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you news in tech from Ireland and across the world. Remember, you can hear us on air with RTE Friday evenings or anytime you like with your favourite Apple, Google or Spotify podcasting apps. We keep you bang up to date daily as well on all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Our program is very kindly sponsored by Fidelity Investments, who are now hiring for tech roles here in Ireland. You can apply at fidelityinvestments.ie to virtually join a global leader in fintech innovation from the safety of your own home. All the details at fidelityinvestments.ie. My name is Dusty Rhodes, and this is episode 829 of Tech Radio. And joining me, as always, is our Tech Central Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson. The big story, Niall, this week is Donald Trump, Microsoft, and TikTok. One, what one a circus. Of, one of many big stories of the week. But yeah, what a cluster. This is absolutely ridiculous. So, okay, we've got until the 15th of September for Microsoft to come up with a, uh, a deal. For, uh, for TikTok. Otherwise, the Trump administration is going to say no deal, which I'm not, I'm not terribly sure they can do. Uh, but they have a habit of saying we're going to do things that they can't legally do. So, you know, mm, mm. guess what? Well, he's just he's putting the pressure on, I suppose, which is something you would do in business. It's not something that presidents would normally do, but in business you would yeah. do. Well, you know, he's um, very fond of saying he's a businessman, you know, let's do uh, a deal, you know. Mm. Um, the first thing that I'm confused about now, maybe you can put me straight on this, right, um, is what, TikTok is a Chinese app. So are they going to, are Microsoft going to buy like, you know, the whole operation globally or is, are they just buying the English language section or, or what's the deal? TikTok is developed and managed by a company called ByteDance, which is which is a Chinese company, as we know. And what Microsoft is interested in doing is buying up uh, the service for in seven countries. Right. The US, Australia, New Zealand, there's a couple more, all, all English speaking con- countries. Right. Um, and what they're interested in is the data that's being generated by its user base, which is predominantly 15 years to 25. So it's a very young audience, uh, not particularly well moneyed audience, but it's one that has a certain cachet with it. So as we know, Microsoft has not had good experiences with social in the past. I mean, it's done very well with LinkedIn, one of the few social networks actually makes money. So that's fantastic. Um, But you might remember social, that was SO.CL, you probably don't. Mm -hmm. You might remember Microsoft Spaces, which was, it was there when blogging was a thing. Um, you might remember it's uh, uh, a few other ill-founded investors. They were an early investor in Facebook, of memory serves. Could be wrong they, there. They, they did. They wanted to get involved in, in Facebook, um, but they wanted to get way more involved in Facebook than just putting money into it. Right. Because Mark Zuckerberg wasn't having any of it. So that's why that kind of didn't uh, uh, work out. Ah, right. Okay. Um, and you might remember the Kin phone, which was on the market in the US for mm. a month uh, mm. before they decided that was no good. So uh, yeah, Microsoft and young people don't really click when it comes to social engineering, but social networking. But this is one way to do that. So uh, I can see the appeal, but Microsoft has been positioning itself very much as a business-friendly, personal productivity kind of company with a wing that does gaming. 
So where TikTok kind of fits into that, I, I don't really know. But, you know, the mm. CEO Satya Nadella gets to look like a bit of a white knight, you know, serving this, saving this uh, service that all the young people love from the hands of, you know, Chinese uh, surveillance uh, and, you know, um, possibly the Trump administration as well. Who knows? Although the, the fun thing is, the funny thing is, uh, is that Trump wants a cut of whatever is whatever price is agreed. Again, that's the kind of thing you would expect a CEO or a businessman to say, but not a president and certainly not a government. Certainly not a government. And it's not even, you know, a, a tax. He's called it a key money, which is something from real estate, which is it's not terribly far away from a finder's fee. It's sort yep. of like I'm holding this for you while this is in train and you're mm-hmm. going to pay me a little bit. Now, a certain other organization that we're well aware of on planet Earth would would use the expression to to wet my beak in something. <laughs> right. OK. Doesn't I, I, sound I, I, terribly different. No, it does. It, it kind of sounds very like brown envelope to me. <laughs> well, we know plenty about that in this country and I'm sure every country has its has its equivalent. So, yeah. yeah. Right. Listen, uh, one, one, one other story making the news today that uh, we'll just cover quickly because we've got a really long and very, very interesting interview for you uh, this week. And that is uh, Disney. Disney are kind of, Disney are having a bit of a rough old time with coronavirus because, of course, all the parks are shut down and they're losing a fortune through that. And then their, their other side of the operation then is releasing movies, which are, you know, blockbuster titles. Star Wars kind of coming at Christmas. I'm wondering if it will come at Christmas now this year. Um, but Mulan is the uh, is the new, latest big release to come from Disney, and they've been waiting to put it out in the cinema, and then they've decided no more. What are they doing? Yeah, Mulan is a fascinating experiment because it's a it's a live action remake of the animated uh, feature from Jeepers the nineties now at this stage, mm-hmm. and um, it's a two hundred million dollar production, and they've decided they're going to pull it from cinemas because they don't know when they can actually put it out there. They don't know when they can release it. So they said, okay, look, we're just going to put it direct to streaming. So this comfortably makes it the most expensive piece of direct to streaming content in the world. And they clearly think they're going to make money off it, uh, mm-hmm. off their 60 million plus subscribers that they've got at the moment on Disney+. And what they're doing is they're not having it as part of your basic package. It's not being pushed out like a regular piece of content like Netflix. Uh, what they're doing is, okay, if you want to see this movie, that'll be $30, please. And we'll unlock it on your account. And for as long as you're a paid customer, you get to see Milan as well. Oh, ow, ooh, ow, ow, ouch. $30. Cheap the price, huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking, like, it's whatever the price. It's kind of, if you were to go into Golden Discs or, or, or wherever, right, uh, and buy a DVD, would you pay 30 euro for, for a new release? Yeah, no, maybe don't. you would. Yeah, no, for a brand new release, don't. maybe you would. You, um, you would want a lot of bells and whistles attached. Well, that's what I'm saying. And at least you're getting a box and you're getting a, a disc. And it, well, I know DVDs don't really exist Here's anymore. Here's They're the case, though, there. right? Here's the case. You're a parent and you've got two kids, right? You're going well, to go you to go. the movies. They'll watch it a billion times. I watch a billion times and you will save money. However, you are not getting the cinema experience. So what kind of mm. premium do you put on going to the cinema? If you're a family of four, that's 40 euro on tickets, plus popcorn, plus drinks, plus whatever. It's an expensive day out. Uh, if you watch it streaming online, it's going to cost you a fair bit less. Let's be realistic about this. But 
you're not you're not getting that outdoors experience. So Disney clearly thinks it can make its money back doing it this way. Right. But okay. Maybe two hundred million is a lot of money. Okay. So you like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I like Star Wars. Star Wars is a Disney thing. Okay. Um, yeah. If Star Wars was to be released in this way at Christmas. Would you spend 30 euro to watch it on your TV? Oh, 30 euro plus a Disney plus subscription. I, I don't think know. I would because, I mean, the whole thing with Star Wars for me is watching it in the cinema. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. the big screen experience and that, that whole thing. So, uh, yeah, I, but as you say, going to be a very interesting uh, uh, experience. The, the, the one thing that does make me smile is uh, back when we, we were all very young people, uh, you used to have the direct to video movies. Mm. <laughs> and they were that never was a good quality, quality, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here's Disney doing something similar now. <laughs> Grant, this we keep an eye on that anyway. NC, so, so two cracking stories in the news this week with uh, Microsoft and TikTok. We keep an eye on that, and uh, and Disney as well. Listen, Niall, thank you as always for keeping us up to date with the news. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's TechCentral.ie. Despite advances in science, technology, engineering and maths education over the past few years, the proportion of females taking STEM subjects at third level is still a problem. Is it a lack of interest, lack of teaching resources, or are we still with that old idea that some subjects are just for boys and others are just for girls? Lorna Martin is Head of Technology with Fidelity Investments, and she spoke to Niall Kitson about how important role models are in getting more girls involved in STEM and even bringing back women who have left the field. Lorna, one of the great quotes I've come across from uh, researching your work in Fidelity and in STEM is you can't be what you can't see. Um, so I, y- your experience in STEM and your experience with role models goes a lot further back than most people, I, I hesitate to say, uh, of your generation or in your position at the moment. Yeah, so I can't claim absolute credit now for the quote, but it's one that you often hear in relation to female participation in STEM. Um, My own career, you know, interestingly, um, I never really kind of felt that absence of a role model. But I think today it is incredibly important if we're going to make progress in the space. So, you know, when I started out in school, um, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that I was on a pilot course for computer computer science or well coding at least um, in secondary school level 30 more than 30 years ago um, last year we just got the pilots into into school for for leaving our computer science so we're moving slowly um, but unfortunately what I've seen over the course of my 30-year career so far is that we've actually moved backwards um, we do where we have much fewer participants in tech careers today than we did when I was in second school or going into college. Um, we talked a little earlier about when I was in my college class was about 50-50 and I have a very proud picture of my first uh, week at work when I went in as a, a trainee graduate with Bank of Ireland and there were 17 or 14 graduates that year 50% male 50% female you know and I'd love to see that photograph replicated in today's world but unfortunately what we're seeing is you know only about 25% of STEM graduates are female and they predominantly 
looking at some of the biosciences as opposed to technology. So for me, my, my, I suppose my role models were I did have an uncle who worked in technology, so I had some knowledge of it. And my mother was a very progressive sort of woman. And, uh, you know, when you're at home in the school holidays and if you moaned about being bored, you tended to get an opportunity to go and take a class or go, go and learn something. And uh, she picked out a uh, coding course from the local newspaper, the Galway Advertiser, and she dispatched me off on it for two months of the summer or two weeks of the summer. And that was kind of my first introduction. And it was an immediate spark. Um, but I think in terms of where we're at today, you know, I don't know how many mothers would do that. There's just so many options out there for kids in terms of what they do with their spare time. But equally, you know, I think we're not really getting enough role models out there to explain what a career in technology is. And, you know, that's really surprising given that every day, you know, every person is interacting with some class of technology. I went to school at a time where, you know, if you wanted to talk to your friends, you waited for the home phone to ring. You know, so I think more so than ever, we have to really be very upfront in terms of introducing those role models into school at very, very early, early stages and also supporting it all the way through the school cycle. I mean, I think one of the most interesting things I learned this year was actually I, I happened to attend the Young Scientist exhibition and um, the winners this year, Cormac Harris and Alan O'Sullivan, did a study of gender stereotyping in five to seven-year-olds. And what the outcome of that really showed was at very early ages, we don't put ourselves into those boxes, you know. So they asked kids to do a variety of things, including draw a picture of an engineer. Um, 96% of the boys in that study drew a male engineer, but just over 50% of the girls drew a male engineer, which says to me that at the very early stages, we don't differentiate in terms of, you know, whether whether we, sh we can be we can be engineers or computer scientists. It's as we progress through the system that we're systematically trained to think that we can't be computer scientists or engineers. Yeah, I think that nature nurture debate, it really is leaning towards the nurture side of the argument at this stage, isn't it? I mean, we are accepting that people show up and they are effectively blank slates and it is sort of the environment and the style of parenting that they deal with that does push them in, in different directions. So, you know, why do you think it is that girls um, are gravitating towards the, the sort of softer sciences, uh, I guess? I mean, in my, in my day, sort of the, the, you know, psychology, sociology, these were the sciences that seemed to attract majority female, whereas when it came to working with, you know, things, it, it did have that, that sort of male bias. You know, at what stage do you think that sort of differentiation starts to kick in? So I think it's really interesting now because I think, you know, influencers tend to be parents and teachers, certainly early influencers. And um, I guess it depends on kind of the ethos of the household and the ethos of the school. So, I mean, I went to a school where our career guidance teacher was consistently trying to encourage us to become engineers. So, you know, she had some she had some success. You know, many of us are in that field or went into that field. So I think it's really down to how do you how do you educate those influencers? Because sometimes they don't realize how great an influence they actually have. And I think the other perspective is, you know, if if parents don't understand the career options, so they look at, 
you know, they look at their children and they say, you know, I know what a doctor does. I know what a lawyer does. You know, they probably have a good idea of what someone with a degree in biology does, right? Um, but I think sometimes they're really confused in terms of, well, if someone goes and studies computer science, what are they going to do? Are they have... They either have a notion of it's really, really, really technical, you know, and I think some of the some of the things we see on television don't necessarily do us favours either, because we generally get categorised as nerds. And what we try to do as we look at bringing kind of female role models out into the schools and, um, and you know, and, and into other events externally is prove that, you know, these are really interesting people. You know, they're not nerds. There are lots of different types of jobs. You know, you can bring lots of different skills to a career in technology. You know, in our company, we have such a diversity of backgrounds. So, you know, we have fine arts students who are part of our design teams. You know, they still practice you know, fine art, but they may not make necessarily make a living. They make a really good living in technology, but they still have that passion to, you know, to also create in, in an artistic manner. And they do it in work and they do it outside of work. You know, similarly, I think a lot of people, you know, they study and they, they look at, OK, I'm going to race for the points for my leaving cert and often get advice in terms of saying, well, you know, maybe you know it's much easier to get a higher grade in biology than it is in mathematics. Or uh, some schools don't offer the, the the subject the subject choices. And you know, in Ireland we have a very strong history of education, but we also have a strong history of girls' schools and boys' schools. And if you put them side by side, quite often they offer different subject choices. I think that also has an impact. But I think the number one really is if we can influence those influencers, that's the pe- the teachers and the parents. That's really the, you know, the, the, that's what we need to really crack. And I think the other thing is, you know, if you go and talk to a group of, we, we do, a, we do a, a, a Careers for Girls event every year with transition year students. Um, what we've discovered is it's, it's a little bit too late because they've already made the decisions. So now we're working much more with the likes of Junior Achievement and pushing back into, into the national school level, into the early cycle in secondary schools, where that's, decision is not fully formed, where there's an opportunity to actually go on, you know, let's see, if, you know, five people or five girls who are five women who have careers in technology doing five very different things, drawing about, upon very different skills. And it's not all about getting that H1 in mathematics. You know, there is an element of mathematics to tech careers, but it's not all about it. I mean, and I know lots of people who have been very successful in their careers, you know, who didn't have the top score in maths. They maybe struggled a little bit on through the the basics in college, but there's much more to it than mathematics. Yeah, I think what you've touched upon there with the problem of getting to kids as young as possible. Do you think there's an element there of parents thinking that you know, technology is the kids sitting at the computer, but you don't know that they're actually doing, you know, only Facebook or, or doing TikTok or something like that? Do, do, you, do you think that's a perception there that people are mistaking technical literacy for sort of proficiency, the ability to use a, an OS as, a, as opposed to being interested in how it works? Yeah, and I think there's, you know, there's a place for both, right? So I think, you know, the, you know, you see, you see babies in prams and like they're they're two and three year olds and they have iPads and they, they intuitively know how to use it, and you know that's 
that's kind of the experience that we're living. Um, so I, I absolutely agree with you. But I do think a lot of parents are really being very progressive as well. So if you look at the growth of Coder Dojo across the country, that's not just focusing on the experience of interacting with the social media platform. It is actually teaching kids the skills to code. I think the challenge is we don't actually have a really good bridge between you know kids go through the whole coder dojo cycle and they get to maybe about 11 and then there's nothing really for them to continue on unless they're very self-motivated or if they have someone at home who can help them so you know if i look at the school system is really important there so we've just introduced you know um technology for the leaving cert computer science right first first class this year will graduate with their grade in computer science. It's really unfortunate that we're in the COVID environment where they haven't got to sit, you know, the examination part of it. So we really don't know what it's what the experience has been like. So it's very difficult to go and tell the next cohort what that experience is going to be like. Um, but I think what we're missing is in some of the junior cycles in secondary school. So get, bridging that gap between where junior achievement are really, really active, where companies are, are active, where communities are active in terms of code or dojo, and then kind of moving into those early teen years. And that's where we lose the female participants because suddenly it becomes not cool to be good at maths or you're you know you're considered a little bit geeky if you know if you're if you have an interest in technology and I don't think the ability is any different I think it's just the pathways that we're influenced to go in can be a little bit different. And essential to developing those pathways is is creating sort of a, an ongoing flow of those influencers, of those role models. So w- where do you see that pipeline forming from? Is it, is it, does it, is it, sorry, is it incumbent on the colleges even to start teaching some sort of uh, communication skills in their, you know, undergraduates, in their graduates to say, look, yep, you, you've gotten this far, but you've got to put the ladder back down as well. You've got to make it easier on kids younger than you to actually, in, uh, consider these careers yeah no absolutely and i think you know there's a lot of there's a lot of programs that are out there so you know if i look in terms of dcu are doing a lot of work with theirs with 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 their teaching courses in terms of getting teachers into companies to learn more about what tech companies look like and what kind of skills um we 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 had we had a summer intern last year who was a trainee teacher who worked with one of our development teams and you know it was a really great experience for her but it was also a really great experience for us because you know we learned in terms of you know how how teachers professionally teach you know we don't necessarily know how that job is structured either but we were able to work with her in terms of educating her on different career paths but also kind of educating her in terms of how you could use tech in the classroom and you know I think until we see some major investments in all of our school systems and maybe you know this pandemic is the tipping point that is actually going to bring us to that level where investment in technology across the school system starts to get some really serious focus um some schools are really well set up i think a lot of them you know i i have I have friends who have kids in a variety of, you know, secondary schools and national schools. Similarly, I have friends who are teachers. The very the, the level of the availability of technology and the proficiency of technology varies greatly from school to school. I think, you know, in terms of the levels of supports from the department, you know, 
there's work to be done there. Um, but I think also as industry, industry has a part to play as well. So, you know, we, we're trying to work with, we work with a specific school, for instance, we partnered for doing, um, supporting them for computer science for the Leaving Cert. And it wasn't just going and saying, let's give you, you know, 50 computers, you know, although we did provide some hardware support and we provided, you know, some funding for them to get their 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 network and cabling up to scratch. But the most important part of that program was kind of the partnership in terms of helping the teachers to provide a really good learning experience for the kids in the classroom. And I think, you know, there's, there's, so there's many, many, I think, stakeholders who have part to play in this, but you know, at its very fundamentals at the moment across Ireland, and this is just my opinion, this is is that from, from my learning and speaking to people is we have a long way to go to ensure that schools are equipped with the right technology to really provide a good blended learning experience um, and to help our teachers be able to provide that experience. And I think the last few months have been very telling in terms of you know, there's probably a huge difference between how different schools have coped. Um, and if you take away all of the, the side issues in terms of, you know, teachers being at home in their own houses and all of the other challenges that, that they've had to deal with, similar to challenges that people who are working remotely are dealing with it, you know, I've, the baseline in terms of maybe what was available to them day one and also what was available to, to the kids is, you know, it's lacking. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I think the interesting thing with uh, teachers in that uh, a lot of schools up until recently, uh, technology seemed to be led by one or two advocates uh, in a school, whereas now we're in a situation where everybody has to embrace an awful lot of tools very quickly and basically everyone has to learn to be an advocate in in some sense. Do you see that uh, at a sort of a cultural level that teachers are not quite displaying pushback, but are shocked at how far they have to come so quickly. Well, I think, yeah, you know, again, I've, I, I know quite a few teachers and I, you know, in my experience, they're really willing to learn and improve the experience in the classroom, but they're really frustrated in terms of how do they get started? You know, if they don't, you know, there's always, as you say, going to be maybe one or two advocates in the school who have that skill. And, uh, you know, I think there's definitely t- teachers who are, you know, spreading that knowledge across their school system. But it's it's very much on the basis of what the school ethos is, as opposed to something that is systematically supported, you know, by government, by 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 business at large and, you know, and, and, and other and other bodies across the state. Um, so my experience certainly of teachers and we, you know, we would interact with a lot of teachers through junior achievement, through the, the various programs that we're involved with at at primary, secondary school and even at university level is, is you know, that they, in the main, they're very positive and they're, they're keen to learn. I think the challenge in the last few months is probably the speed of that learning curve and the level of support to help them, to help them kind of really get on top of it. Um, and I think, you know, unless we have some democracy in terms of what's available, it's going to be very difficult to really change the results that they don't just come from certain pockets. And I think it's the same in terms of as we think about, you know, as we as we think about getting more women into technology, we really need to sp- spread the net very broadly. Um, it's not a case of just going and say, OK, here's our role models. We're going to go out and show them to you. You know, absolutely. 
you can't be what you can't see, you know. But I know from our own experience of we ran we ran our uh, Careers for Girls event on International Women's Day, and I'd say it was four years in before one of those transition year students came in, and I was in a round round table with them, and they said, "I actually want to study computer science in college," and I I jumped for joy. But I'd spoken to a lot of those transition year students before we got to that stage. So it's, you know, it's really about how do we continue to bring influence into 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 the classrooms through the whole cycle? How do we influence the influencers? You know, one of the one of the things we've done a couple of times is bring large groups of career guidance teachers in because they don't necessarily have the supports to actually support students in career choices in technology. They don't understand the career options that are available either. And I think, you know, it's very easy to to go and blame the teachers, but I think it's a much more uh, societal uh, intervention that's required to really solve this problem. And that was Niall Kitson talking to Lorna Martin, Head of Technology with Fidelity Investments. And of course, Fidelity Investments are the kind sponsors of our programme because they are hiring for tech roles in Ireland right now. You can apply at fidelityinvestments.ie to virtually join a global leader in fintech innovation from the safety of your own home. Their website address again, fidelityinvestments.ie. Listen, that wraps it up for our show for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates and daily newsletters and more, which you can grab at our website, techcentral.ie. And of course, you can listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, have a wonderful weekend. Take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.